The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now, we have Dr. Aidan Warren from RMIT talking about the situation in Afghanistan, which appears to have worsened overnight, watching the footage of what was going on at Kabul Airport. Um, For an airport that had commercial flights flying to it, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. And I know that uh, Emirates had a flight from Dubai uh, that got to Kabul and they started the descent and actually circled over and then decided not to land and the flight went back to Dubai. I think there was a Turkish Airlines flight that landed and was perhaps on the ground for about six hours and then uh, ultimately left um, and a situation, of course, with a U.S. Uh, globe master trying to take off, and it did take off, but a lot of people running along and holding onto the plane. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, Doctor, good morning. Thanks for being on the program once again. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, but it's very, very bleak over there in Afghanistan. What do you make of the pictures that we're seeing, particularly of the Kabul airport situation, which appears to be going right around the world? Look, it's just an overall tragedy. I mean, obviously, we've, you know, 20 years of my adulthood, life has been following this conflict closely, of course, particularly in the events after 9-11. And now we have this brutal um, culmination and brutal in the sense of how abrupt it's come about, how in many ways we could see it somewhat being inevitable, but just those scenes of people at Kabul, because basically many of those people would have been people who have who are working and part of this, the former government, I should say, and and know that their their fate is is going to be in some pretty evil hands, I would argue. And I'd be pretty desperate too if I was at that airport and hence the reason we're seeing those scenes. And I've just seen a photo of inside that uh, US C-130 Globemaster that was taking off and it's got photos of people sitting in it and uh, absolutely packed to the gills. You probably couldn't fit anyone else in that plane. And I'm told that it had something like, well, 640 Afghans, which is something like four times its uh, carrying capacity. Look, I mean, from what I've read and from what I've gathered from just conversations, any, it was it's, it's, a, it's a game of inches. If you can squeeze onto that plane and... And maybe if you were from Afghanistan that had been, you know, working closely with the United States or working in a governmental department or a linkaged area or so forth. I mean, obviously, it's obviously you make it on that plane or you or you stay behind and, and somewhat meet your fate. And I don't suspect it would be a good fate. No, that's exactly right. I just want to play um, a very short excerpt of what Joe Biden had to say, and then we'll uh, get your reaction to it. Sure. Um, this is what he said. Have a listen. What's happening now could just as easily happen five years ago or 15 years in the future. You have to be honest. Our mission in Afghanistan has taken many missteps, made many missteps over the past two decades. I'm now the fourth American president to preside over war in Afghanistan, two Democrats and two Republicans. I will not pass this responsibly on, responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. Uh, What do you make of that response? Well, there's a lot to take out of it. The buck, buck does indeed stop with him. He is the incumbent. He's obviously made this the final decision. I know people refer to, you know, a Trump deal last year and so forth, but but the buck does stop with him. And I don't think it's going to be a very 
um, handy buck to, to, to in terms of his legacy, in terms of politically moving forward. But, you know, you, you, he's talking through a national security, national um, interest lens there and, and talking about, of course, the elongated conflict and talking about how it's cut across four presidents. And that's all well and dandy. I understand that the United States and the West and NATO want to secede out of this conflict but the, the power vacuum that's left behind that we always knew was going to come, but in this abrupt fashion, human beings left behind. He doesn't talk about the human rights and human component. He talks about it purely on an icy national interest level. And, and I know he's trying to be presidential, but to me, this is one time where, you know, I generally don't mind Joe Biden, but I, I um, am really struggling. I'm struggling with Democrat viewpoints in the sense that they are – they're doing a lot of whataboutism and they're pointing backwards and so forth. But to try and put a clean seal and secede out of a conflict like this, and I know it's complex, I know the complexities of it, and I know it's not a good conflict, and I know it's rested on on the life support system, if you will, the United States and NATO. Um, to me, those words are, are presidential or him trying to be presidential but it's, it's really masking over the human rights, um, potentially Rwandan-type um, notion that might, may come to the fray in the next weeks or so. It's uh, absolutely terrifying, isn't it? And uh, especially uh, women's rights, women and girls, because I believe there are women going out and you know, participating in schools and doing everything. Yeah. And uh, the Taliban, I think, has said that, oh, that can still happen. But in practice, I'm told um, from watching the news services that that is, in fact, not what is actually happening on the ground. Well, the Taliban is just going to play a very straight bat at the moment. They just want everyone to get the hell out of there. They, they, they're not going to be interfering, as they've alluded to or indicated, with embassies. They're not going to be really shaking the tree. They're not going to be, you know, hanging out at Kabul airport, getting involved in any sort of skirmishes or whatnot with any of those Western forces. They're going to allow them to come in there, get their people and get get the hell out of there, to put it in crass words. Um, and so basically they want everyone to get out of there and then it will be really, once they... You know, in the next few weeks, you know, formalise or, or, or construct or, or, or determine how they're going to move forward, um, they will do this. But I suspect this notion that they may be open to, you know, you know being, you know, allowing girls and, and women rights to work in government departments, girls to go to school, um, not to mention have any other general rights, right to walk the street without having a partner next to them, rights to not be stoned for just, you know, without any sort of due process, stoned to death and a whole range of things. Um, you, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I would not want to rest my my way of moving forward with the in the hands of the Taliban. I think they're just really being very, as I said, being very letting things go through to playing a straight bat as a means to waiting to everyone gets out of there, and then we're going to see real things um, unfolding in the next uh, weeks or months ahead, which I I fear I, I think it will be terrifying. If you're a, if you've worked in a U.S. government department, and remember, there's a lot of people that have had to work with the United States over these last 20 years in various levels. Right from you know bureaucracy, government, education, every sort of facet of, of trying to in, keep that society somewhat afloat. Well, you know as well as I do how many thousands of people that would have been working somewhat in that that construct, that Western construct, and you know that, that if they're left behind, they're they're going to I, I suspect you know mm. be in a bit of trouble. Mm. 
Well, it's, it's very tough to come to terms with. I did see a video where Joe Biden was being asked, I think it was a few weeks back, by journalists, you know, if we withdraw, is there this risk of the Taliban taking mm. over? And I think he said, no, the risk isn't significant or it's not as bad as what it may have been in the past. Um, so mm. it seems like this situation now has actually surprised him. It's surprised perhaps the top policy minds in his administration. Yeah, I mean, I... I didn't think it would move this fast. I don't think anyone did, but I didn't feel confident. I don't think he he, he conveyed confidence. But but, the, but basically, the Afghan Afghanistan National Defence Security Forces has been, you know, had had a force of around the vicinity of two ninety three hundred thousand. I mean, those figures are somewhat skewed, and they are, are now up against the potential estimated sixty thousand full time fighters with the Taliban. The Taliban, of course, have been made, making inroads, of course, over the last year to six months at the at the outskirt or the more the outer provinces but nonetheless i think that he was looking at purely in those sums my view is that you know the problem is is when you have a local force um that they're propped up by of course u.s money obviously u.s training but of course there's always that question of whether you have ample proper buy-in whether you have ample proper connection to the very force that you're defending and the actual very establishment that you're defending. is that, Was that ever really truly there? Um, you know, when it's an artificial construct being the, the, the government that was there or even going back to the, the democratic elections that, you know, supposedly kicked off the Afghanistani state in 2004, you know, after the 9-11 attacks. I mean, there's a lot to play into it. But from my view, yeah, it was surprising. But was it in terms of the pace? And also the fact that in some many of those provinces and external cities in in the lead up to Kabul, you know, there was barely a shot fired in some instances. And in other cases, there was, of course, you know, people who were brutally murdered and so forth. Um, it's it's a horrendous situation. I'm going off on a few tangents, but but I'm just trying to convey to you. Yeah, he did say those words, and he did, and as he as he has admitted, he did underestimate, or they did underestimate the quick and the pace to which this has moved. Well, I was just very moved watching the news services, the international news websites over the weekend and watching uh, the reports of the Taliban taking a number of the major Afghan cities. Mm. And it said in mm. these reports, uh, no or almost no resistance. Yeah. And then it seemed like hours later, after I saw a report that said they'd taken everywhere except Kabul, hours later, they're in Kabul and no resistance, yeah. it said in Kabul. Yeah, and that's and that's right. I mean, once I'm moving into Kabul, it was like, okay, well, this this is not good. I mean, obviously, if you look at a map of Afghanistan, it was essentially being encircled, and and then you know, I woke up and the, yesterday, and basically they're inside the palace. I mean, yep. that's how quickly it moved. And there was no resistance, and and um, you, we have the, the the prime ministership. The, sorry, the 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 um, Ghani had for President Ghani had fled the country. Um, it is over in the United Arab Emirates and. And the United States, you have, all, of course, all these, um, you know, the United States and many other states have been involved in Afghanistan, deploying troops and so forth, but just as a means to get their own people out. That's it. So it wasn't about fortifying Kabul. It wasn't about offering resistance. It wasn't about countering the Taliban. It was purely about we're, we're including more troops in there to get our peoples out of there. And then, and then that's the end of this deal. And that's it's in the cold hard light of day. Um, it, it, it's if, if you care anything about human beings, it's it's confronting because you know it. As I've alluded to a few times during this conversation, the fate is is going to be something that 
many of us would not want to meet. Most of us would not want to meet. And the, I suppose, I mean, people are saying this conflict goes back a very, very long way, but I suppose the modern history of UN, uh, the US getting involved goes back to 9-11, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, the United States has often been, you know, a big, as a superpower, you know, particularly post-1945, um, has been very interventionist in many states for various reasons throughout the Cold War. Um, but we know that, of course, 9-11 was the trigger. We know that... Um, we, we, and we were coming up with the 20th anniversary of that. I think Biden also was one of the reasons Biden wanted to secede out of there to, you know, 20 years was enough. He wanted to put a timeline on it. Um, of course, that also extends back to Trump, the Trump deal last year. But my point of the matter is, We've got 9-11 occurring. We have, of course, those twin towers, the epicenter, epicenter of the world capitalist system in New York City, in, the, in, in pristine skies getting, you know, obviously attacked. And, and, of course, we know the Pentagon was, and we know that there was another one aimed to the White House that got brought down in Pennsylvania. And so, really, the immediate response after that is, like, I remember the days, a few days after 9-11 happened, people were like, who did this? And then once it was realised that there was a... How do you respond to a, a terrorist actor? You can't invade a terrorist actor. But once it was realised that Afghanistan and the Taliban were harbouring al-Qaeda, the perpetrators behind the attack, well, then the United States had this black and white target. And then in October... 2001, they began their Operation Enduring Freedom, which of course con continued on really till 2014, and then Obama tried to conclude, again, tried to put a lid on the conflict, which is very hard to do, and then it continued on in other forms with the US presence and of course counter-terrorism and training operations still going on there. But yeah, you got 9-11, which triggered off Afghanistan as the first theatre in the War on Terror, and then in March 2003, we have the Iraq theatre opening up for, for, for a different range of reasons. I'm just wondering what you made of uh, Joe Biden's comments that I played, just in terms of where he said, well, the same thing could happen 15 years from now, or it could have happened five years ago. It was always inevitable, this Taliban takeover and the um, yeah. horrific situation we're seeing now. I'm really disappointed by his response. I'm really disappointed by... Um, Democrat proponents' response, which I generally am, as you probably know, but um, yep. I'm disappointed by how people can say, well, we did this because it was going to happen anyway. Um, well, we did this because it was inevitable. Well, you know, we could have done it five years ago and it was going to end up like this. And and there's a bit of that sort of park in the buck. I know it's complex. I'm not necessarily saying that it was a, a, a travesty or a difficult situation was going to evolve one way or another. I just think there could have been better staging. I think there could have been better planning. I think there could have been maybe a process of where they could have got people out of there maybe. Maybe they could have worked on in terms of, you know, developing or cultivating some appropriation of people into safer places in terms of, you know, refugees and so forth as opposed to because now once the United States and those other Western actors leave, you cannot tell me you'll be able to apply for a visa or, or elsewhere under the Taliban regime and the bureaucracy will allow you to cosily leave to Iran or where else in the world. So it kind of, to me, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just going a bit off the top of my head, but I think there could have been a better processes and better consideration. But again, that, that to me is like it comes down to the cold hard light of day. This is cutting people loose and it's frightening. And what happens from here? How does the international community 
respond because clearly if you look at social media, uh, people over there are crying out for help. But uh, how do you render that assistance? And I suppose more broadly, how do you deal with the situation that the Taliban is the government over there now and uh, has been unopposed and will be, you'd suspect, for a very long time? Well, that's it. How do you? How, there's a lot of complexities going. On. Obviously, the United Nations will condemn it. The United the US will condemn it. There may be, you know, will there be any sort of interventionist or fleeting strike mo strike movements if there is some form of genocide? I don't think there'll be any sort of open genocide. I use the Rwanda analogy not because I thought it would ever be like that situation, but just in terms of a seismic moment where the world community will sit by and watch right that's the that's how i was utilizing that analogy i don't know how it's going to move forward because how do you go into a state that's that's number one not recognized or won't be recognized in the international landscape which is of course is very important in international relations and number two how do you how, how can you walk are you going to be able to appropriate aid are you going to be able to appropriate any military force are you going to be able to deal with the taliban diplomatically and say well, look we don't like your human rights abuses i mean remember they were recognized as a sovereign entity by most of the international community from 1996 until 2001 when they were toppled mm. so i'm just saying to you to me it's almost like court they've called it's going to be a cordoning off and, and of a hermit state that that it's going to be very hard to difficult very difficult to navigate and deal with in terms of the human rights appropriation unless you do go back there militarily and again that's going to create all other sorts of risks and even if you do go back in there who's going to lead it the u.s the u.n nato I mean, Britain, no, I don't think... I mean, there's going to be a whole bunch of things in action and there's going to be a lot of lip service. And I don't mean to sound negative, but this is the whole reason why I've been really stressed about these last few days is just the abruptness about... It's all about getting the West, getting their own peoples out. And really, I don't know what's going to happen to those poor people left behind, behind those borders. And uh, just last of all, the Taliban, they seem to be a bit smarter with some of their messaging this time. I saw a, a commentator talking about how last time they banned TVs and threw them out and all that sort of thing, whereas this time they seem to be dealing with the media. I mean, they're talking in different ways and probably downplaying some of the concerns that you're raising, but uh, do you trust them? Probably not. No, I don't. But I think you've, I think I've alluded to that they are playing a straight bat. They're, they're really wanting everyone just to get out of there for the moment. Um, they probably are wanting to maybe, you know, I don't want to say use a charm offensive, but maybe they will be using the, the media differently because obviously social media is a different era. They, they didn't have that way of communicating 20 years ago, as, you know, via crass videos and so forth. But, you know, maybe they want to convey that message just to keep the West at bay. It's, it's a smarter strategy if they do do that. If they can make out that they're somewhat workable and friendly and, and user-friendly to some extent, I think a lot of people would be prepared, be prepared to turn a blind eye to certain things and just and just let it let it go, given the fact that there's been 20 years involvement. It's a horrible situation either way you look at it. But yeah, they, it wouldn't surprise me if they are being a bit more compliant at the moment, particularly as states are trying to get out of there. I think it, we'll have to wait and see over the next few weeks when everyone is properly withdrawn as to where that will end up. Well, thanks very much for sharing your insights this morning. I can hear in your voice that this is very emotional. It's raw and oh, it's happening horrible. right now. Um, so thank you for coming on and just sharing what's going on in the moment. And maybe when the dust settles a bit and we have a bit of a clearer idea on what's going to happen going forward, we can have you back on the program. But I appreciate these you know, very frank, raw insights in the moment as it's going on over there. 
Yeah, no, no worries at all, and I'd be very happy to talk again about this. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Aidan Warren, who is an Associate Professor at RMIT. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.